3, verses 13 through 16. One of the people that I uh, follow on, on Twitter uh, tweeted this quote out last week. She says, if you want to grow weary in doing good, real quick, allow social media to be what feeds your soul. You want to grow weary in doing good, allow social media to be what feeds your soul. And I've been thinking about that ever since I read it, and, and I believe those words are true. Not just with, with social media, but with news media, or with, well, or with whatever testing, testing. political party you align yourself with. If you want to grow weary in doing good, then allow Facebook okay. and Twitter to feed your soul. If you want to grow weary in doing good, allow CNN and Fox News to feed your soul. If you want to grow weary in doing good, then allow liberal and conservative political prophets to feed your soul. You will grow weary. And doing good. I believe all Christians in America are, are guilty of feeding off these things. I know it's true in my heart. We allow these things to, to feed us, particularly when it comes to social issues like race, culture, and class status. What feeds our soul in those things? What shapes our understanding of them? The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we have the self-awareness about ourselves to see what it is we're actually feeding on? When it comes to the racial tensions in Ferguson, Missouri, what has that revealed about yourself? What has it revealed about me? What has been your response? Silence, anger, hurt, indifference. These are questions that I ask myself because I've been feeling a lot of different emotions. What is feeding your soul? This is important because what feeds your soul when it comes to, to issues like this, it dictates your response to them and how you understand them. And if we are honest with ourselves, if we are honest with our hearts, if I'm honest with my heart, majority of the time, our response and, and understandings of, of social issues like race, culture, and class, and justice is more political than biblical. It's more political than biblical. Please understand a biblical believer is much different than a political one. A biblical believer is much different than a political one. So today we're going to get biblical. And there's no best place to go than the book of James. And I love the book of James for that particular reason. Because it has things to teach us about how we are to operate as believers in the world that is not our own. James says in chapter 3, beginning at verse 13, 
who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the humility of wisdom. For if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from, from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, I need you today. My heart is a little weary. I'm all over the place emotionally. And so I call upon your, your spirit to minister to my heart today. Minister to what I'm going through. And I pray that same prayer for everyone that's here. That your spirit, Lord, will come and descend upon us in a mighty way. And bring us deeper into your presence. A deeper understanding of who you are and what you are about. A deeper conviction of the ways in which we wander from you. None of us have it all together. None of us are without issues. So Holy Spirit, please come. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Today we're going to uh, begin a two-week series called A Tale of Two Journeys. A Tale of Two Journeys. You see, I believe there are, are two journeys believers can take in this world. Two journeys you can take. Two journeys you can walk when it comes to social issues of race, culture, or class status. Is it will be a journey of disorder or it's going to be a journey of peace? A journey of disorder or a journey of peace? James wants us, no, no, James calls us to be on a journey of peace. And in his summary of a journey of peace is in verse 13 where he says, He who is wise and understanding among you, who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the humility of wisdom. That's what he wants us to be. But James is a, will, a realist. He doesn't simply approach you as, as he wants you to be. He approaches you as you truly are. He understands that, that life is not always what we want it to be. And Christians don't always live like they should always live. James knows that the walk in a journey of peace is not going to be easy. He knows that those of us who have been set free from the power of sin through 
saving faith in Christ still struggle with sin to this day. And he says in John 3, and he says in chapter 3, verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. And one of the ways in which we stumble is that all of us, regardless of our class, regardless of our culture, regardless of our race, we have a tendency to travel a journey of disorder in this world. And the first thing he wants us to know is is that the journey doesn't start outside of us. The journey actually starts in our hearts. It starts in our hearts. What do you mean, Alex? James tells us. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. The journey of disorder doesn't start outside of our life. It doesn't start with external manifestations, but it starts inside of you, internally. We all need a, a heart check today. And these two things that Paul, that James talks about, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, these are what Paul calls works of the flesh. Works of the flesh that he talks about in Galatians. And one commentator says, Paul's works of the flesh feature social sins. Social sins, such as hatred, discord, jealousy, selfish ambition, fractions, and envy. And this is what James is dealing with right here. Social sins against other people. The NIV translation of this verse says, But if you harbor bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, the NIV captures perfectly what, what James is talking about here. He doesn't want you to continue to harbor these things inside of you. If you harbor something inside of you, it, that means to keep it in one's mind, to, to give home, to, to give shelter to something. And the picture that James paints for us it is a heart that has given shelter to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It's a heart that doesn't struggle with these things. It's a heart that nurtures them, welcomes them, embraces them. If we do a heart check today, what does your heart nurture? What has it welcomed? Bitter jealousy? Selfish ambition? This is the type of heart where God's word is not doing much spring cleaning. It's a heart that's not bending more Christward. Does your heart need spring cleaning? Does my heart need it? Yeah, it does. The problem with bitter jealousy and selfish ambitions is that they're hoarders. They're hoarders. What do you mean by that, Alex? It means they would trash your heart and consume your life. And guess what? Social media, news media, our political prophets, they feed into our social sins usually. They don't free you from them. You need to know that. They don't free you from these things. They usually feed them. They feed them. And if you don't know that, then you don't have very, you need some self-awareness. I do. I've been all over the place this week emotionally. 
And I have to check myself. Why am I responding the way I'm responding? Where is this coming from? Is it political? Is it biblical? Where, where, is this, where did this mean? What about you? Your responses. Bitter jealousy. It hoards in us a desire to promote, to promote our own opinions and interests at the exclusion of other people. It's all about promoting what benefits you. Greg Bloomberg says, says that this kind of envy seeks the best for oneself, regardless of what might be good for someone else. It seeks what's best for oneself, regardless of what might be good for another person. Like your political view of social issues in our country. Think about your response and reaction when things fall apart socially. What is your reaction? What is your response? Is it biblical or is it simply political? And what I have observed for myself and, and for many believers since all this stuff have, has happened up in Ferguson, Missouri, all I've seen is a lot of believers behaving politically, not biblically. Because if it's a biblical response, sometimes it will be a, a response of peace, a response of healing, not one of going in our red and blue corners. And we know what red and blue corners mean. We have to be salt and light. Salt and light. There's a lot of resentment in our country right now. A lot of envy, a lot of rivalry, a lot of unrest. But as believers, will we follow suit or will we stand out and change the narrative? Will you change the narrative or will it play out as usual? when social issues happen, like it usually plays out in the church that simply follows suit in our red and blue corners. What about us this morning? What about me? All of us, all of us, all of us have a bit of jealousy, jealousy in our heart. We all struggle with it. Not just that, but we also a selfish ambition as well. It also leads to a journey of disorder. And selfish ambition, it hoards in our heart a self-centeredness. It's a self-centeredness that, that seeks one's own interests at the expense of other people. It seeks one's self-interest at the expense of others. You use others to get what you want. Or it can mean a lack of consideration for others or to be indifferent to them. In George Shaw's play, The, the Devil's Disciple, uh, the character Reverend Anthony Anderson says, the worst sin toward our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That's the essence of inhumanity. The worst sin toward our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That's the essence of inhumanity. The, the dictionary meaning of indifference is to lack interest, to lack concern, to lack sympathy. A heart that embraces and nurtures selfish ambition, it lacks concern 
for other people's story. No interest in the way they see life. No interest in their experiences. No interest in wondering how did they get in the situation that they're in. It's not caring to see life through the lenses and eyes of other people who are different than you. We all have to understand that we all got different stories. We all have different experiences in this country. We all have different perspectives on race and culture and class, and it's not the same. It's different. Very different. We all have different views of what is taking place in this little town in Missouri. I guarantee you, none of us will see it the same way. But have we ever asked ourselves, why is that? Why do black people see it one way, and why do certain white people see it one way? If you approach it politically, you never ask why. You will assume why, but you never go and cross the aisle and sit down and say, why do you see it that way? If you are having a biblical response to social issues, you will ask the question why. You want to know why. You want to know why. For me, every time a police officer gets behind me, I get nervous. You ask why you feel that way. Every time that happens, I get nervous. Every time. But will you ask me why? Or will you assume I'm just being paranoid? Biblically, we want to know why. We will have an interest. We will have a sympathy of what, how other people see life and what they've gone through to hear their story. But when you approach these things politically, you don't care to know why. All you want to do is be right to win the argument. This issue of self-ambition, it also is a term that is used in politics. And one commentator says it refers to a narrow partisan zeal of fractional greedy politicians. Another commentator says it's a common word used in the settings of partisan politics. The image you have is of people with angry competition undermining one another, each fighting for their own right. Does this sound familiar? Does it sound familiar? It's happening all over the world, in our country, in our churches, when it comes to social issues. Why? Because we're more political than we are biblical at the end of the day. Because we want our side to be right. We want our side to be right. And we know what? We fight for our own rights. And those rights are usually painted in red and blue colors and not the cross. And that is to cut both ways. To convict us. Not to upset you. Not to point fingers. But to convict even myself to the point of where I can go to the Father and repent. And ask him to heal my bitter and selfish ambition heart. Will we do that? Even though the journey starts in our heart, the journey will also end in chaos. 
And, and again, James says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast to be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above. This is a, a rebuke from James, for, for he knows that where this journey ends, it ends in disorder. And we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. Do the books I read and the articles I read, do they feed my bill of jealousy, my selfish ambition, or do they help me get free from it? What about the personalities that you listen to on the radio and television? What about those political prophets? Do, what do they do for your soul at the end of the day? Do they feed it things that doesn't need to be fed? Or do they help you get free and give you better understanding? What do they do for you? James says, don't let your heart deceive you into thinking you have a biblical wisdom and you don't. Don't boast about having wisdom from above when you don't. Don't hide the truth with lies. This is not wisdom from above. One commentator says, James calls the way of life marked by envy and selfish ambition a kind of wisdom because envy and ambition do have a certain logic to them. And he, told, he tells us what that looks like. He says, this is not wisdom from above, but it's earthly, spiritual, and even demonic. I told you, James don't sugarcoat at all. If James was a preacher today, he wouldn't be liked by many of his members. Because the book of James is a hard book. It's a hard book. Because it's up here. It's up here. It shows the things about ourselves that we don't want to see. But it's a book that is very needed in the times in which we live. The times in which the church lives. He says this type of wisdom is earthly. And earthly is a, is a reference to human life. It's a, it, 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 a human life on earth is one of brokenness and fall and stained by sin. And this, he said this wisdom is, is freshly. It's, it's living according to the flesh. It's not living according to the spirit. And second, he says it's unspiritual. It means it's not guided by the spirit. It's not guided by the word. It's worldliness. It's not biblical. And James even said it's demonic. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> good night, James. Demonic? <laughs> and what is, he, what is his point? That means the enemy has his hands all in it. And what does the Bible tell us about the enemy? He is a father of lies. He masquerades as an angel of light. He can easily deceive you into believing you're more justified in your position than the person you argue against. He can deceive you into believing that. And you'd be surprised at the things that he uses to deceive you into believing that. See, James is not interested in taking sides. He's an equal opportunist when it comes to stepping on toes. He steps on everybody's toes. And he's challenging you, challenging me to ask ourselves some hard questions about how we actually operate as believers in this world. How do you operate as a believer in this world? What should our response be? 
when things fall apart socially? What should our responses be when things fall apart globally? How should we operate? What should be our response? These are important questions. What should be our response? Would it be an earthly or spiritual demonic response? If so, there would be chaos. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every evil practice. Is that going on right now? Look at the world. Is there disorder in the world? Yes. Is there evil practices taking place in the world? Yes. And again, what would be the church's response? How will we operate? Will we stand out or will we just take up a post and follow suit? A term for disorder can mean to mean confusion and instability, restlessness, unsettledness, to rebel against, to revolt, to engage in insurrection. One commentator says, confusion and disorder would inevitably break out in the church when Christians, especially leaders, are more interested in pursuing their own ambitions and partisan causes than the edification of the body. What are you interested in pursuing as a church, as believers? James says there will also be every evil practice taking place. You don't have to go to the Greek to know what that means. It means every evil practice taking place. We have to take these words to heart from James as we engage in, in life in, in our country, as we in, engage in, in social issues in our country, even as we engage in how we do church, we have to have the self-awareness to know that none of our hearts are beyond this. Do we see that our hearts are just like the hearts of the, of the folks in this book that he's talking to? We've got to see that about ourselves. We've got to see it. Do you see it? Because if you don't see it, you can't repent of it. And James' whole point isn't to beat us up. James' whole point is he wants you to see your sin so you can repent of it and get healed from it. Not so you can leave here and beat yourself up. He don't want us to be not deceived into believing things and be blind to the truth. Blind to the truth of the fact that Jesus don't wear a red and blue jersey. He wears a cross. And many times, he, Jesus ain't always going to line up with what I believe politically. You got to know that. And we think Jesus takes sides and stuff like that. We think Jesus, if he was here, he'd be in this camp. No, no, he'd be in that camp. I got to tell you, he probably ain't going to be in none of your camps. Be in his own camp. We got to be biblical, not political, as believers. There are two journeys that believers can travel in this life. What journey are you on? What journey are you traveling? 
I want a disorder. I want a peace. We all have a role to play. And what role are we playing when it comes to social issues like race, culture, and class? A simple political response puts you on the journey of disorder. But a biblical response and a biblical understanding, it will always set you on a path of peace, a journey of peace. And what does a journey of peace look like? We're going to get more into this next week. A journey of peace is like this. Repentance, reconciliation, restoration, and even redemption. And I guarantee you, they in a social media outlet has proclaimed, proclaimed any of those things this week. They ain't a political prophet that has proclaimed any of these things this week. Repentance, reconciliation, restoration, redemption. Only the bride of Christ can proclaim that truth. And the question is, will we do it? Or will we jump to our red and blue corner and be satisfied there? Jesus is calling us out. He's calling us out of our corners to be his presence on earth. And if the church does that, if the church does that, we won't have things in Ferguson, Missouri happening. Because the church will be representing him well. James says, who is wise to understand among you? By his good conduct, let him show his work in the humility of weakness. And I challenge you, so we meditate on this this week and come back next week and we talk about the journey of peace. Let us pray. Father God, I know um, we don't have all the answers about things that are happening. We're not all knowing. We're not all understanding. We all are creatures of, of habit, creatures of, of our upbringing. We all live in a bubble. But Lord, sometimes you call us out of that. But we can't come out if your spirit don't bring us out. And, and so my prayer for our church, Lord, who we are as believers, that you will mold us into the people you want us to be, that we will not operate out of a worldly type of wisdom with one another, but Lord, that we will be biblical in how we respond to one another, and that we will ask ourselves, why? And have honest and hard conversations about tough things. And so I, I pray that you be with us this week. That when things come up, you help us to be salt and light on our jobs. Give us wisdom as we engage coworkers. Give us wisdom as we engage unbelievers about issues like this. Help us to be salt and light. Help us not just to follow suit. Help us to change the narrative more into a biblical narrative, one in which Christ is at the center. If we're all about the Father's business, 
how we respond to certain things would be a whole lot different. And I pray that prayer for my heart and for the heart of everyone here. In your son's magnificent name I pray.